you know that music. Come join in and listen to the only Blade Runner podcast in existence. From in-depth discussions about characters to interviews with actors and filmmakers involved in the process, Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, covers a multitude of topics spanning both Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions. The story runs deeper than you know, and you are part of it. And what are those funny marks? This is all writing. What's writing? The words that stay. When single shines the triple sun, of your sundered and undone, shall we hold the two made one. And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to The Gathering Songs. This is your Dark Crystal Discussions, where we continue on with The Song of the Dark Crystal, which is the young adult novel by uh, J.M. Lee. Um, So we're up to uh, chapter eight um, and onwards with the discussions. Um, I'm Philip Mitchell. Just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, for this episode, we we got two uh, guests, um, you know, to as we continue on with chatting Song of the Dark Crystal. Um, First of all, uh, we've got uh, Dom uh, Nardi. Uh, from Nardi Views, so I just want to say, Dom, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, glad to be here. And also, we've got uh, Nancy Gray, um, author of you know the Blood Rain trilogy, and also working on other uh, projects as well. So I just want to say, Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me again. No worries, and I guess I might as well you know mention first of all that I, I, unfortunately we don't have um, Albert. Uh, uh, from interactive artistry um, in this episode um, he's got a lot going on with all these um, podcasts um, that he does so he's sort of um, a bit out of it uh, for for the time being but um, you know I, I really appreciated his uh, time uh, with with being on um, on the gathering songs and um, yeah hopefully we'll uh, be able to get him back um, on future episodes of uh, the gathering songs, um, as he yeah, brought, you know, uh, interesting discussions to the, to the table and, and all that. So, yeah, I, I guess, you know, we, we might as well, um, without further ado, uh, we'll, we'll get things started. And so we're up to chapter eight with song of the dark crystal. And, um, yeah, I mean, this was sort of the big thing that we find out that, I mean, from the previous chapter, we saw that, you know, that Tavra, uh, is alive, and then we sort of got a glimpse of, um, you know, knowing that Gurjin um, also survived as well. So, which was kind of cool to sort of have that, you know, that family reunion, I guess, with Gurjin and Anaya at, at this point in time. And so, I mean, this is, you know, in this chapter, you know, uh, him and Tavra, they, they tell their story to Anaya of, you know, what happened and whatnot. I think it sort of went that, you know, Tavra escaped after Anaya, you know, fled the castle and, 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 somehow Tavra managed to get Gurgen in the process. Um, like I was saying that I think at the time of reading it, because it was such a small passage, you know, with the description in the story that, you know, I was sort of a bit <laughs> disappointed at the time when I was reading this. It was like, oh, okay, that's not much. I'm like, I would have liked a more elaboration sort of thing. But of course, you know, this is something that we're going to find out much later on why that was the case. So just, you know, initially it's something I didn't like, yeah, what we got from this chapter, but yeah, we're satisfied down the track as it'll, it'll make more sense. Yeah. 
It, it makes a lot more sense later that why they didn't, you know, dream fast this and have more detail. It, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> I mean, dream fasting would have spoiled it, you know, if Tav, yeah, with Tavra and um, Naya for sure. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So that's that's why it's a it's kind of a dissatisfying. It's exciting because it's like, oh, I thought these characters are dead. But you do get that whole feeling of, but at the same time, it seems a little too easy. Yeah. <laughs> how how did they get yeah. out of that predicament, you know? Mm. Yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. One of the things I noticed about this chapter was there's almost like a sort of love triangle beginning. Kylan is very infatuated by Tavra's appearance. I mean, there's descriptions of her being glowing in the moonlight, and he actually notices, like, the jewel on her ear and is paying really close attention to her. So I, I thought that was interesting, since he's gotten so close to Naya now, and it's like Tavra shows up, and she's just got that whole vaporous sense about him that he just can't stop looking at her. <laughs> irritates me because i don't like tavra but yeah. i think everyone knew <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and i was just try trying to think i mean and then it sort of went you know to later later that night at a campfire and and naya mentions to tavra and uh, uh, gurgin that you know ryan said to hurrah and tavra's not liking it of course um and you know she sort of likes you know would would prefer to for everyone to you know just just ahead to hurrah you know better than splitting up and you know I know with the idea of um, them going to see Olga but I mean at this time Gurgen is still pretty injured you know from what he tried to escape from from the Skeksis and they attempts to heal him and um, with with Belila you know putting her hand on his chest and the blue light from fingertips reaches his heart etc I, I guess i guess i'm really curious of what your thoughts about sort of the magic aspect of of the dark crystal because i know it's something that you know we we don't we never seen anything like this but i guess you know of course this is from uh you know from the gelflings gelfling culture that you know of course with the film for example we we never got to see that kind of stuff and i guess it kind of makes sense because i don't uh, i don't know whether the um the mystics never taught taught uh Jin to use this kind of you know use these powers or abilities that um galflings can have yeah i think that um he did a really good job of it because um one of the things they didn't really explore in the film that is something that's you know solo to the books is basically the Madra's power to do certain things within the clans. And I think in this chapter in particular, it shows how strong Naya is because she is the daughter of the Madra. And I feel like the Gelflings are connected to Thra. So anything powerful within Thra, I mean, the fact that, that she can heal, it's like she's drawing from the force of Thra itself and healing her brother. And I think that might have something to do with her lineage, but it also might have something to do with something all Gelflings can do because Algra was the one who favored the Gelflings and gave them certain abilities. This wouldn't be something the Urskex gave to them. This would be something that would be innate in their nature. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I agree with Philip in that this is not something we've seen, but it fits and 
you know, what is like the, the like the, I, I don't, I don't think I, I didn't necessarily need an explanation for why, like why Gelfling Essence had this healing power, you know, after I watched the movie. It's not something that I thought I needed to understand. It just seemed like a, it just seemed like some, it just seemed like a fantasy trope, you know, drink the poor minion spirit and absorb their spirit and you get healed or something like that. But it kind of, it's kind of nice that it, it's incorporated into the world building a bit. Um, so it doesn't seem quite so random. Um, and it also, the other thing is I, I, I felt like this type of healing transfer or healing power also seems akin to uh, dream fasting, where that's like a transfer of memories or like mental mental states, and this is more about the physical state. Um, you know, so and so and given that dream fasting is something that we already know about, like this sort this seemed more like an evolution rather than something that was totally surprising. Yeah, yeah, it's something I know that's sort of um, been a lot of talk, um, you know, on on these dark on the dark crystal group. Sometimes I guess the magic aspect of um, the dark um, crystal, but yeah, I mean, you know, just just the fact I know you know we had something I haven't seen, but I think you know it's something that you know you kind of have to add these things to you know have something new to each you know you know when you're telling um, stories something different, um, but I think. But I think it actually works pretty well um, myself as well. I think it's a very sort of natural, yeah. I, I like what Don was saying. I think that um, that's true. We've kind of been introduced to a similar concept through the dream fasting. And I feel like also since, you know, Gurjan is her brother, her twin brother, there's this connection there that this is something that we haven't seen her do much throughout the series. Not much, you know, in terms of actually healing. But when she actually goes to do it to her brother, she's successful at it. And I feel like it's not just healing him, it's also healing her spirit when she thought that basically he was dead. It's like... It's almost like a mutual transfer where it's like she was healing his body, but she was kind, of, but he was kind of healing her soul. I know they mentioned about um, in this chapter about how the essence can heal the emperor. You know, at, at this time he's still very unwell, so it actually makes me wonder whether he actually got any essence at all during the events of between shadows and before the dark crystal. Whether the Skeksis just when they got the Galflings to to drain their essence, and they just never gave any to the emperor and just you know hit it for themselves you know they seem to be thinking about him but at the same time i mean they're so selfish and greedy that it's possible they might have just drank the essence when they got it themselves but mm. i think that they've probably tried things before to heal him and it just probably has the same effect like in the movie you know where it just temporarily works but doesn't work in terms of long term it doesn't heal his illness and so they're trying new things because i think for their own selfish reasons they might want to heal the emperor mostly just because there are not many of them left though there are more of them in this particular series than there were in the movie mm -hmm. but you know they're they're there might be something there too. I mean, if they don't produce results, I'm sure, despite the fact the the emperor is ill, he was the strongest among them. I'm sure that uh, it would have repercussions if they drank all the essence for themselves. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I think, I think when I chatted to um, Philip Kennedy Johnson, who co-wrote, um, I think with Power the Dark Crystal, and one of the things he was sort of looking forward to is actually seeing the Emperor Skeksis in Age of Resistance. Um, more just to do, just you know, just seeing him, you know, in his prime, um, essentially. Whereas you know, in the film, you just saw him, you know, as dying and um, you know, weak and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting to see um, the Emperor when that show comes out. Yeah. In the manga and in the creation myths, he seemed very, very powerful. So even being sickly, he probably was still formidable to all of the mm. others. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so, I mean, back with um, with Song of the Dark Crystal, um, Naya, so Naya heal, heals her brother successfully. And then at this point, Kylan sort of, sort of takes lead in a way that, you know, we're all going to go see Augura and that's, that's the final word and... And Tavro grimaces and or, you know just basically says nothing and sort of you know goes along <laughs> with with Kylan. So so yeah, it's sort of you know one of Kylan's sort of first many things of you know standing up and um, or taking lead as we go throughout the the story. And also in this chapter again, it has you know another nice illustration from Corey Godby as well uh, with Naya and, and Gurgen with Naya healing healing her brother, which again yeah just just love the illustrations. Um, as always, um, yeah. <laughs> and so I guess, you know, we're up to chapter nine and um, you know, they continue heading, you know, to, to see, to find Orgra at, at High Hill. And Kylan's been sort of writing the journey with the scrolls that Tavra has uh, provided to him. And um, Anaya mentions about <laughs> removing the part they almost got eaten, eaten by the plant, which is, yeah, a kind of little funny moment. And I'm just trying to think, like, uh, it just, I mean, that's a little part, just sort of remind me a bit about with Lord of the Rings, with the two towers, you know, at the end of two towers of the film, when Fred, Fred and Sam are talking about, you know, the stories and going to write a book and whatnot. And yeah, so just, just remind me a little bit about that. Yeah. And um, I mean, and this is sort of the part where we sort of get into uh, the spiders, I guess, um, uh, which sort of becomes a big thing, you know, much later on and um you know and Tavra sort of warns them about the spiders that can kill the death sting spiders and they don't like gelflings and then Kylan sort of uh he sees a dream etch on a wall um so he only sees you know the word her and they sort of decide oh you know he can read this and it must mean something that it was only part of a message so um him and um uh Nylon decide to um to go into the mountain where the nest of spiders might be there. And I liked, I think how, I think Naya described Tavra, you know, Tavra's a bit touchy, like a spider's nest. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, mean, I was kind of surprised. Yeah. There was a lot of um, foreshadowing um, <laughs> that we get before. It was foreshadowing, but it's very easy to interpret that message in different ways. Her could be multiple people, including Algra. And I, I like how J.M. Lee did that. Like, I like how the foreshadowing came at a, at a point where I think most people are going to come to the, the one conclusion, but there are actually other conclusions that are pretty reasonable in the context of the story. So, yeah, I, don't, I, didn't, think, I didn't think it was too much foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know when, when they go inside that Kylan, you know, is it reads the message in full and says, do not trust her. And, I mean, I sort of had the presumption that um, it was um, 
that, you know, do not trust Olgra. And I actually thought Ronip um, wrote the message. But then I think, you know, when I read it, um, that, that it mentioned that it was written by Gaffling Hand, you know, to that extent. Um, but yeah. I, it does seem like, though, do not trust her, you know, the way he was kind of uh, peeling away the spider webs and things. It seems if there was some Gelfling that wrote it, there would have been a body. I mean, I know that's dark, but spiders do, when when they suck something dry, it still remains in a cocoon-like state, unless it, it was written many years ago, in which case, I guess they would have to assume that it was um, written about Algra, but at the same time, it kind of leaves it, to me, a little more ambiguous, like maybe Ronip did write it. Mm. Or something of that nature. Because even though it was written in Gelfling Hand, uh, later it's established that Ronip can write in Gelfling Hand in the journal. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, yeah, would we'll definitely get into um, into that um, with the incorporation of Ronip in, you know, we have Song of the Dark Crystal. Um, and so, of course, you know, the spiders appeared and um, Nay and Kylan, they sort of run out they sort of cave and, and try to catch up with um, Tavra and and Gurge and I do have a bit of a I don't I don't want to say, issue might be too strong but in terms but just I don't know the the whole idea of you know we have the Dark Crystal we have Thra which is this this completely separate world and ninety nine percent of the creatures are things that we've never seen on Earth never imagined and then we have spiders. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm crazy about that for the world building, and I know that the movie mm. did this as well. There are bats in the movie. They're called. They're you know they're called the crystal bats. So, um, to- I totally understand that this is something that we see in the movie as well. But yeah, you know, it's just I don't know. Especially given that evil spiders and evil bats have are such a fantasy trope. You know, like go back to Lord of the Rings, and you have. Uh, Shelob, the evil spider, and it just I kind of wish it had been a way, different way to do that. Sorry, go ahead. I wish he had gone into the mythos of it more, because um, I think that it seemed like the Groton clan were, you know, at odds with the spiders. I just kind of wish he had gone into a little more detail about why all spiders hated Gelfling. Because that would have been really interesting, and um, he could have really created a new mythos with that, and I didn't feel like he really explored that as much as he could have. That's the one small criticism. I mean, we learn more about it later, but at the same time, we don't learn the history there. So that was a little disappointing to me. I mean, I, I understand him using spiders because... Let's just face it, spiders are damn hateable creatures, you know. So mm-hmm. I mean they have that whole sucking their victims dry and the creepy multiple eyes and it, it is a creepy antagonist. It's just at the same time it's like I don't know, that there could have been a little more there, I think. Yeah, a bit more descriptive, yeah, just yeah, because I know yeah, when we get passages of, you know, oh, why they hate Gelflings and, you know, don't don't really get too much um, into it. Um, pretty short and sweet sort of descriptions of, you know, why spiders hate Gelfling. Gelfling. Um, and well, that was actually one of the things um, when I was uh, recording um, 
this other podcast I do the Dark Crystal minute with um with Jamie, where in each episode we go through each minute of the Dark Crystal and sort of talk about uh, what happens in that minute. And um and I actually noticed that I think in the cast of the crystal, sort of at the start of the film, uh, when we see the Skeksis and they're sort of walking, um, you actually see spider webs um on the mm. set. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of yeah. found that interesting. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I could, cause yeah, yeah I mean, I, some, you know, seeing, you know, something new in this book, but then when I was, you know, watching the film, I'm like, oh, wait, there are these spider webs. Like, oh, I guess, you know, spiders could have been hanging around at the castle of the crystal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's not know? crazy that you'd have a creature like a spider, you know, or like some silk weaving, you know, insectoid it, animal, but it's just like, you know, spider, you know, it's, it it does make sense now that you you point that out because the way that they ate, just the decadence and the rotten meat and throwing things on the ground and stuff, that would attract insects. And when that kind of um, bad environment in terms of uh, rotten meat and things like that attracts other insects, that does attract things that um, eat them. I mean places that are dirty like that do tend to have spider webs so that's an interesting way of thinking about it i like that yeah and so i think i mean you know up to chapter 10 you know they're still sort of continuing with their journey to high hill and i uh, and see this is what i wrote in my note about um that her response you know with tabra saying you know why spiders hell hate gelfling and and I just liked her line about next time you see one, maybe you should ask. <laughs> yeah. So again, the sort of the continuation of the foreshadowing. Yeah, I didn't realize this. Yeah. Again, yeah. Just just a lot of foreshadowing. Yeah. It was sort of mentioned, you know, about with the with the all, you know, with Olga being, you know, the first one, you know, with Thra and um and all that. And um, I know Gurgen sort of, you know, thanks um, Kylan for you know accompanying Nay on her journey. Yeah. And then yeah, they they finally arrive at Olga's Hill. And that was the other thing I sort of found interesting with the finger vines that uh, I think they get caught into. And I think they're the same, I think they're the same finger vines, you know, from, from the dark crystal uh, that Jen also gets caught into as, as well. So it was interesting to know that, yeah, that, um, that they can eat those, those creatures, which, you know, there's something I didn't think of at the time or didn't think it was sort of a danger. I thought it was just, you know, in the film, he's just sort of, he's just caught in this, you know, in this trap essentially and wouldn't be able to eat gufflings. <laughs> so now, I mean, I guess it makes sense, you know, in the film, you know, when, when, you know, Olga tells the plants to sort of drop down or, you know, don't eat him, you know, in sort of her own language, the plant language, I think I sort of um, wrote in my notes. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is sort of another thing where, uh, you know, Naya then uses um, dream fasting with the finger finds you know, to communicate with the finger vines, um, to, to let them go. And it actually works. It's just like, oh, why don't, why? It, it, yeah, I get that. That's an interesting thing about, you know, with Jen, like, cause the first time he learns dream fasting is through Kira. It's something is like, oh, you know, why didn't the mystics sort of, um, teach him those things? But yeah, that's just, yeah, one of those things I just sort of well, thought about. Yeah, yeah. I get the, that, that's Naya's natural talent though. Yeah, it's something that's that, true, yeah. uh, Kai, Kylan can't even do, you know. Um, so I feel like that's something that's just either passed down through her clan or just um, just a very rare thing that she's born with. Yeah. But that's just the feeling I got from it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're probably right. I mean, uh, considering the past, you know, uh, stories, uh, yeah, I mean, she's been able to 
dream fast with animals, with pretty much anything, almost, um, even, you know, the, the tree. So it's a very, you know, strong ability of dream fasting that she has. Um, and I guess that's the thing, I guess with Gelfling clans, I mean, of course the basics for dream fasting would be between Gelfling and Gelfling, but yeah, I, I you know, be, yeah, you know, uh, Gelflings like Naya, um, mm-hmm. that would have, you know, that much stronger ability, um, to, to be able to go beyond just dream fasting with Gelflings, um, which is kind of cool. And of course, you know, the whole thing works and, um, you know, they let them inside and, um, yeah, and we sort of get, get into Augur's observatory, you know, sort of appearing and yeah, it's just, I mean, it was just really cool to get back to seeing Augur in, um, you know, with these, you know, these book series. So it's kind of cool that, that we, that we got that sort of in, in this book series, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For me, this could have been a moment where the, uh, book got, got a bit fan servicey with Augur and I think it avoided that because Augra isn't particularly helpful. And mm-hmm. Augra doesn't just do what Augra did in the movies, obviously, which is, you know, talk about the prophecy. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a very, it's, it's, you know, they try to see Augra and really don't get very much out of, get very much out of her. And it actually kind of answers a bit a question that, probably would come up at some point either in this book or age of resistance which is well if augur is so wise and powerful why didn't the gelflings go to her before for help against the skexies and this is kind of the answer that she's just you know not ready to play that role like she's not you know so well, it works it sounds like to me there's a little bit of history between the them and uh augur anyway that a lot of the Gelfling, I don't even think that, that they know that she still exists. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Skeksis themselves were, this is just speculation, but if the Skeksis themselves were actually spreading rumors that Augra didn't exist anymore. Because then that would give, you know, even though she may not be 100% helpful, she still is helpful to them. So it's one of those things that they wouldn't want the Gelfling to think they could get help from anyone else. Some of the things I thought were interesting, you know, there are hintlings, there are hints in here where she's like Silverling, maybe, and she she does tell them that one of each clan at least needs to be involved for the gathering, which they didn't know about the gathering at this point, and they are they are coming to her, and, and I like the line where she was talking about um, only mother when Gelfling needs something. That's what children do. Yeah. <laughs> And then she's going through, you know, each of the clans, you know, there's two drenchins and she says, you know, a vapor, maybe. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, she's, you know, giving them quite a few hints, I guess, of what's to come. But, you know, for the Gelflings, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, you know, what are you on about? And, and of course, like I will mention again, I think in chapter 10, um, you know, we do get the, another great illustration from Corey Godby. So, um, of Augra. And so I guess, you know, in chapter 10, uh, chapter 11, I should say, um, this is a point where, you know, Naya asks for help on a way to send a message. And, and really, I mean, you know, like you, you said that Nancy, that, you know, Olga, you know, like she does help, but doesn't at the same time, but sort of at least sort of, I mean, hints to them about the fact that Gelfling, you know, they must have to have their own language that only they can understand and not Olga or the Skeksis to send the message. Because it's like, well, Olga could send the message, but 
But if Olga sends it, then it's like, well, the Skeksis know her language as well. She kind of hints about the Urskeks teaching her at that point. See if I can find the actual passage. But she basically says something along the lines of, you can't just send it a written message because they, un- and it's very practical, you know, they understand writing. <laughs> they taught Agra, and in this way, a part of them taught Agra, basically how to how to write language so if they just send it written it's gonna be intercepted by the skexies and not all the you know gelfling will be able to find it yeah i was just i found that passage i think um with olga she says if olga can understand it so can the skexies who do you think taught olga to read well it wasn't the skexies i suppose not exactly they weren't the skexies yet hinting about you know yeah with with the whole urskex but yeah, I mean, because I don't think she really got into the whole sort of, I mean, she did say, she does say that there used to be one, um, you know, 18 Skeksis, 18 Mystics, that's one for one, um, isn't it, if the numbers are right, and saying, comparing that, you know, with Gurgen and Naya, that, like, they are twins, but they're two people, they're not one connected, you know, much like the um, the Mystics and the Skeksis, that what happens to one, you know, can affect the other mm-hmm. um, and vice versa as well and yeah it's just sort of you know at this point it's like you know overall she says she doesn't know what to, what what they can do and mm-hmm. and for her it's just all about waiting to see what happens at <laughs> the next great conjunction i got the feeling that um she was kind of sad though that uh when she found out what they were doing to the gelfling and she pretty much later you know, flat out says that um, it's not what he's trying to do isn't going to heal him. I think that um, she says actually that the Skeksis are wrong about the twins' essence helping because they're two beings, whereas the Skeksis and the Irvas are one being being split in two. So she says it won't work. Well, it's just, yeah, I mean, just having double the strength, you know, from twin essence. And yeah, it's, it's interesting with that. Yeah, and I think they suggested about, oh, why don't we just kill one of the Skeksis? It's like, well, you can't because it, you know, means it kills the Mystics. And I was just looking at it, and, and like, you know, the Craig Conjunctions, you know, is more powerful than the Skeksis and the Mystics, which was uh, sort of, yeah, very um, interesting. Um, and, and so I think, you know, Ky- Kylan sort of, he, he then just gets annoyed and leaves. And Olga tells him that, I mean, Kylan was holding a book at this point in time. But then August, is, you know, notices that and, you know, she tells uh, Kylan that he can keep that book that he took from her. And so they're sort of like, oh, you know, they sort of leave with no answers and seems like at this point in time, the patience is the only way to resolve the matter. But I think, you know, this is a part where, you know, the book actually becomes uh, very helpful, a lot more helpful than they sort of even imagined. And so, um, yeah, and then we, you know, find out that, you know, this book was written by a non-Galfling. So there was a bit of mystery about who wrote the book. And so, I mean, I'll, which we'll get into um, because, I mean, of course they do leave and um, Naya believes an answer could be in the book for Kylan to read uh, for answers on how to send a message to all the Galflings. You know, it's like, get get reading. Uh, I think it's T- Tavra says. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Get cracking. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was the thing, like, um, which was really cool that, that the book was written by, by Ronip, which I sort of, you know, 
I mean, I guess for me, I kind of always like the sort of connections, you know, with other dark crystal stories where, you know, with creation myths, um, well, especially creation myths, well, with Song of the Dark Crystal, with um, incorporating Ryan Ip and, and also with um, Gaia, the, the song teller, into it as well. So very much in, enjoy that. And um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, yeah, it was almost sort of, you know, a bit, whether it's a bit too fan servicey, but I think it, I feel like it hasn't pushed it that far, I think, to to make it that way. And sort of connects with the story of what's happening with, with Song of the Dark Crystal. Yeah, I love I love Gary the song teller and the and the um mm. even if it is fan service, just some of the references to him throughout the book. I think that's awesome. Because I just really enjoyed that story. Uh, I, I like that the uh, solution of all this is um musical instrument. That's that's very Jim Henson. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I in one of the earlier episodes I uh, said something about how the Dark Crystal is kind of an outlier and that it doesn't have as much source music or you know song in in the movie. Um, but this just having you know, having a magical musical instrument seems very Jim Henson to me. It seems very much in keeping with that spirit. Mm-hmm. So. Definitely. I mean, in um, a lot of the lore about um, the Dark Crystal, even in the manga uh, series, the first thing that is used as a weapon in um, that story against the Gartham is a flute that was broken and he strikes the thing and it, you know, manages to basically, I can't remember if he ran away or if he killed it, but it's one of those things he looks at it and is thinking, what a horrible thing to do to a musical instrument. But throughout this thing, musical instruments seem to be doing things through music and song and, um, dance and peaceful artistic things seem to be the answer in a lot of these stories, which I think is really interesting. And I think Jim Henson would like um, that theme being kept throughout a lot of this literature. Yeah, absolutely. I think as we, I think we might've mentioned in a previous episode, like it is something, so it is something I would love to sort of um, singing in age resistance, um, the aspect of, you know, songs, whether it's singing or playing the instruments or um, that kind of aspect, you know, with the galplings. I know in the Dark Crystal, we, we, we sort of got that with the podlings, um, but I sort of would love to see sort of, um, you know, from galplings, uh, uh point of view, I guess, or, you know, their perspective um, with songs and, and, and music and all that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so um, I'm just trying to think. And so we're up to chapter 12 and we find out that the book was written by Ronip and um, so, you know, and uh, Kylan sort of reading, reading the the words, um, the, the passages, I guess, um, about Olga forgetting about um, Ronip. And yeah, sort of got to the point where he sort of reads much further on because, I mean, it's interesting that the book sort of has different languages like it's in his language and in Galfling's language and and I think one that it, you know was in Galfling language was um about the Furka from Gaia the Songteller it sort of described that the Furka was so powerful that it could create sort of multiple dream etches that it could help spread the word about the Skeksis and that the Furka is believed to be with the Grotten clan or the Grotten Galflings who have sort of been an unknown race that's that's been of myth to to many other Galfland clans. Yeah, so it's sort of like you know, you know, we could we could use this and 
you know, potentially maybe find out if this, if the Fergo actually still exists, whether it's true and whatnot. And um, I'm thinking, as well as in this chapter, uh, Nay and Gurgen, they sort of reveal a secret plan to, to Kylan. Because, I mean, I think at this point, you know, they'll try and work out what, what to do. Because, I mean, with Gurgen, and I think they sort of decided that it was probably best for him to go back to Solg to heal up with, you know, her, with his mother and um, that Kylan, Naya and Tavra would just all go to Hurrah, which I think I wrote in brackets, probably to Grotten Caves and Tavra to Hurrah herself. They, they really wanted to <laughs> split up the group, which I guess it makes sense because it's like to have Ryan and Gurgen, you know, together, if they're still, you know, you know considered treasonous um, to the Gelflings, and it's like, well, it might be best for Gurgen to just go back home um, and just be all split up. I think that's definitely a uh, was a good plan on their part in general because they know that something is up with Tavra. They don't know exactly what it is, but they know either she hasn't fully healed up or there's just something about her that's setting them on edge. And she clearly, you know, wants to go to Harar. So if they word split the group this up this way, perhaps she would go on to Harar. Or if she stayed with them it would kind of, you know, be, he wants her to stay because it would be an extra person, but at the same time, at least this way they can pursue this other avenue that they couldn't before. And even though it's mean to say, Gurdjian being injured would slow them down and he doesn't need to be put in danger in that way. They don't know what they're going to find at the caves. I mean, for all they know, it could be filled full of spiders. They, are even doubtful whether the um, Groton clan even still exists. But at the same time, they want, they feel they need to pursue it. And Kylan, I like how he's kind of taking charge of this because it's something that it's the thing that he would know about because it is pursuing a song and pursuing a furka and pursuing something that um, he would be the strong one in this group. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and um, and and also, I mean, another thing that I've sort of, um, noticed, that I think Nietzsche actually sort of um, leaves Naya to go to go with Gurgen, um, as well. I know there wasn't much of Nietzsche in the last sort of couple of chapters, so so at least you know Nietzsche sort of has a bit of purpose, you know, going with Gurgen, which I guess is probably more just you know to focus the rest of the journey through the other characters, you know, with Naya and um and Kylan and Tavra. Um, sort of as a journey on and and of course I mean you know Gurgen sort of leaves in the middle of the night and I mean they sort of hope that Tavra will be okay about it but pretty much mm. yeah pretty much doubt that that would be the case so <laughs> yes yeah uh, one thing that I thought was interesting in this chapter when he's reading Ronip's book it talks about outsiders who've taken our heart captive that seemed like kind of um a couple of meanings there because at first the heart of Thra, of course, the crystal, but it might also refer since this is written by Ronip to Agra's heart, uh, mm. her li- her love of him and the Gelfling. It's like it's been taken away by um, the Irskeks and her observatory and all that they taught her. So I thought that was um, an interesting line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just um having a look at that passage as well. You know, only we of Thra can be the antidote and to heal our world, we must purge it of those outsiders who have taken our heart 
uh, captive, which, yeah, I definitely got a sense that, yeah, that was sort of referring to uh, to the uh, Skex. Yeah. Yeah, as well. So, yeah. No, which is really re- cool. It's interesting, but at the same time, it's also, yeah, this is something that some of creation myths as well. It's also a very odd statement for a somebody who's supposedly a protagonist to make in a Jim Henson story. Because so many of Jim Henson's works, you know, have this theme of overcoming differences and unifying and um, peace and solidarity. So the xenophobic, you know, blaming the outsiders is very, you know, that was interesting too. And I, I got the sense in creation myths that Ronip had gone through more of an evolution Although he never really fully, you know, recanted his previous position, so it's I don't know. Just I thought that was a very I thought that was interesting that it came up here again. I wondered if he was writing that during the time that he was thinking of rebelling against the Skaggsy uh, or the Urskags, because he did lead a sort of makeshift rebellion against them in the creation myths. So it made me wonder if um, maybe that was. Because we don't get a date as to when these passages were written in the journal. We know it's very old. But, um, I mean, he talks about um, that they have to heal the sickness and things of that nature. I think at that time, that was when that was starting. So I I just thought that was interesting because we don't know when it was written. It could have been written when he was um, trying to rebel against them. But either way... It kind of speaks to uh, Kylan in the now. Whether Augur knew that that would happen or not, I think that it's still a very interesting thing. Because uh, Ronup is a very interesting, complex character, and I'm kind of glad that he brought him into this in this way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I really like, um, you know, with Ronup's character, I think it was interesting, you know, the way he was, I mean, originally incorporated to, to creation myths and that, I mean, yeah, with his character, he was always sort of against the Earth and, um, yeah, to sort of have that bit of that uprising of, you know, that these Earth Skeks of, you know, there's some there's something about them in, in that regard. Yeah, uh, I think we'll probably have to wrap up with um with the discussions with the gathering songs. Want to say um yeah, thank you so much for for being on the show, and um I think I'll just go through everyone um so nancy just want to say thank you for being on the show and just want to know how people can find more about uh your work online oh um thanks again for having me um i have a website which is nancygray.net and my blog address is nancygray.blogspot.com um facebook name is writer nancy gray and those are usually the best ways to contact me excellent and um and and Dom, I just want to say thank you for being on the show and um, and how people can find you with um, with all your work that you do at, um, with your uh, Nardi views um, that you do. Yeah, yeah. Thanks again. Well, yeah. Yeah, so my primary blog is Nardi views. And um, um, for anybody interested in Dune, I'm, I'm going back and rereading all of the Dune books. So I, I will be going through and posting reviews shortly. Um, on Twitter, I also go by Nardi Views, so you can look for me there as well. Excellent, excellent. All right, so yeah, I, yeah, thank you all so much. And you know, as we sort of you know continue on and um, with discussing Song of the Dark Crystal, you know, now that we're sort of getting you know 
sort of exciting time for Dark Crystal, not only with Age of Resistance, but also I think um, as of this recording, I think they announced um, uh, the third book of, um, of uh, I think, which is going to be called Tides of the Dark Crystal, which comes out in December 2017. So just before Christmas. So um, yeah, very much looking forward to, you know, so the more journeys um, that we'll definitely get um, with these books, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal chamber! If you'd like to contact the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. To find us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. You can tweet at us at darkcrystalpod. Also, if you get a chance to review the show, whether on iTunes or Facebook, that'd be fantastic as well as that'll boost the rankings. Thank you all so much and come back next month for more The Gathering Songs. to the only Blade Runner podcast in existence. From in-depth discussions about characters to interviews with actors and filmmakers involved in the process, Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, covers a multitude of topics spanning both Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049.